Hey listeners, the official trailer for The Druid's Hand is out now. Filmed summer 2021 in Alvina, Saskatchewan, this horror short has been a labor of love from co-host Mitch Oliver and friend and former guest of the show, Jesse Sowitzki. A big thank you to all the listeners and backers who have made this film reality. You can watch the trailer now on YouTube and stay up to date with all things Druid's Hand on Facebook and Instagram. Now enjoy this Kickstarter episode with our friend Sean Talley of Paper Street Pictures and the Paper Street Podcast. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Terror Table, a horror movie podcast presented by the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the here every week. My name is Mitch, and with me, as always, I got my pal. I'm Boozy. Mitch and Boozy are back in the trap, and we are excited to welcome a first-time guest to the show where we are going to be discussing both Fright Nights. So we're going to be talking about the Fright Night original from 1985 and the remake from 2011. But here to do that with us, we are so, so excited to welcome someone that we've admired from afar for a, quite a while now, ever since we we met and became pals with uh, the very talented filmmaker Aaron B. Kuntz. Uh, who, when he was on the show, we talked about his production company, the Paper Street Paper Street Pictures, uh, which is doing some really amazing things lately. And one of his partners uh, behind, like another producer for Paper Street Pictures, is none other than Sean Talley, who is the host of the Paper Street Podcast, which is a show I've talked about on air. I'm just get, I'm gonna keep rambling until hey, Sean. How are you doing? <laughs> I am Sean Talley, ready to do battle with the undead. Yes, uh, yes. excited to be here. And uh, happy to be Kyle's replacement. I don't know if Boozy knows that yet, but uh, yeah, I'm here we go. Honored that you asked me to be the new uh, third man. I love this. <laughs> I love that I had no idea, and that you will slay the undead if it comes down to it. Yeah, which is something we're faced with quite often here. No, that's awesome. That was the quickest, uh, quickest rebound we've had in a while. Getting <laughs> like, like the last just time assert it's... dominance, and that's how. Is it your does. third man like the uh, drummer in Spinal Tap? You just continually are replacing, and that's exactly it. Yep. He's Actually, a, I feel like we're like the original, like me and Mitch are, are like Hall and Nash. We're like the original NWO. And then we just kind of like come and go. And every once in a while, there's a Virgil that comes yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think a I love Virgil. you guys already for uh, making <laughs> wrestling references. Of course, you're Canadians. Why wouldn't you be wrestling fans? In fact, uh, the only thing I know about uh, Mitch's former home, and I, I assume Boozy's current home, is that Brock Lesnar flies in and out of there to go to his farm. Yep, yes, very true. He loves it. You guys ever there. you ever see him in the wild up in town? Not Brock uh, Brock Lesnar. Uh, uh, no. Every time he is spotted at like a Tim Hortons, it's like a big deal. Like usually Reddit pops off whenever that happens. Well, to be fair, Sestian has what we got Brock Lesnar coming in once in a while, and then we have Kim Coates. <laughs> Kim Kim Coates, but he won't come here. He'll just virtually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He doesn't want to deal with the stench. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we're we're so excited to welcome Sean, which is someone who's a guest on like it sound, may sound ridiculous here, but um, I would have been hesitant to reach out to you to see if you'd want to come on just because I, I know how busy you are and uh, you have your own podcast, like mentioned the Paper Street podcast, which I'm a huge fan of, um, but you were a Kickstarter contributor for our short film, The Druid's Hand, 
So you chose to to back us with your wallet and pick up an episode. And I was so excited when I saw that you specifically did this because uh, you're someone I listen to regularly and I, I really admire what you do. And, and your podcast, in my opinion, is the best filmmaking podcast out there. I think that anyone who has any interest in making films themselves, like the Paper Street podcast should be essential because you bring on so many amazing creative guests from all sides of the industry that so many people don't even know exist. And uh, like ones I want to give a special shout out to is I, uh, the episode with Alex Cuervo, who did the score for The Pale Door. And I believe he also did a score for Scare Package. But recently, like I'm developing a project and me and my roommate, we we crank the Pale Door soundtrack while we're writing. It's so fucking good. And uh, it was really interesting hearing him. And yeah, once again, I'm just I think my ADD is going to take over and I'm not going to give you any chance to talk. So <laughs> no, that won't be a problem. I have plenty to say, especially on the Friday Night Movies. But uh, no, I, I don't know how to take compliments well. So I, I feel uh, I'm blushing right now. I very much appreciate the kind words for sure. And yeah, Cuervo is great. I, I said on the show to him, I the Pale Door score elevated the, the film. Like, I, oh yeah, I, we think he's fantastic. He's our go-to guy. He is uh, doing the uh, composing for Scare Package 2 as well. So you'll hear more of him down the road. Yeah, yeah. That's you guys got so much exciting shit happening yeah, right now. Congratulations on that popping off. Yeah, like we, I, I know you listened to that episode obviously when we had Aaron in town here, where I think we made Seb sound like he was a, a demon from another planet. Like his voice was just so low. We had some major technical difficulties, but it was amazing getting to hang out and meet with Aaron. And uh, and I know you listened to that one, but uh, we're huge fans of Scare Package. And you're a producer on that. You're a producer on the sequel, Rad Chad's Revenge, which we cannot wait to see. Yeah, it's exciting uh, coming this fall, along with a few others. Like we have Sorry About the Demon coming in the fall, which is from Emily Hagens, who directed Cold Open in part one. She's oh, got so a feature good. that Paper Street's producing. Old Man uh, from Lucky McKee, who directed The Woman in May. If you guys are horror yeah. fans, I'm sure you've at least heard of those two movies. And uh, yep. starring Stephen Lang, uh, who's the big bad in Avatar, if you don't know him by yeah, name. Yeah, and the, the blind man in Don't Breathe. Uh, absolutely, yeah. So yeah, lots of good stuff uh, coming down the pike here in the fall. Just a uh, you know, pandemic certainly delayed a handful of things. And it's like they're all coming out. I think we have like 10 things with our logo on it coming out in just the next year and a half. That's awesome. So yeah, no, you guys are keeping very busy. Um, yeah, like you, you've, I, I, one thing I want to do before we get on to, we're, we're going to just talk about what movies we've seen recently, if you have any that you want to spotlight or anything. Um, but I want to get to pick your brain a little bit while we have you here, Sean, if you're cool with that. Pick it. Pick it. Awesome. Yeah, scratch um, it. Well, I just think for, for our listeners who are interested in that side of filmmaking, like you are a film producer, you you worked on uh, Camera Obscura with Aaron Kuntz and the, the Vice Guide to Bigfoot, The Pale Door and like Scare Package, we've already mentioned. Um, you, the, how did, what led you to producing and what does the day-to-day look like that? Because I know you, you started off famously as a PA on Rob Zombie's <laughs> House of 1000 Corpses and you followed that up with Garfield. The yeah, double feature no one thought that they needed in their life. House 1000 Corpses and Garfield. That were shot right down the block from each other on Elm Street at Universal's backline. <laughs> That's the wow. only uh, connection, really. That was it. Uh, you know, going all the way back, Aaron and I met in junior high on the bus. It took until literally I was getting out of high school and thinking about like, what the hell are we doing? We, we love film the most. We want to make movies. 
And uh, not to retread some stuff Aaron probably said on the show, because I've, I've listened to more than his episode, by the way. That's why I have a lot of questions for you about bringing on ex-girlfriends and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. A lot to unpack there. In fact, I'd rather talk about that than Fright Night, but I don't think Busy wants to <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. go down we'll your there. personal history. No, but uh, yeah, we finally decided to go to film school. We went to Full Sail in Orlando, which is down the street from UCF. And uh, out of it, we kind of took different paths. Aaron did work on some uh, universal pictures there in town, like Monster, and I want to say like Too Fast, Too Furious and some others. And then he kind of segued into the game industry for a bit. I made my way out to L.A., and yeah, just grinded for a couple of years doing everything I could. I, I worked for free for months before a grip that I had worked with called me up and like got me a paid gig and uh, got a gig at Universal's backlot working security for the company Securitas that to this day still runs like the security there. And that was my that was my angle in because I lived down the road from it and I was able to walk to work and stuff. And uh, the way I ended up as a PA credited for those movies was I was doing security and I was basically like watching the sets all night and stuff. And uh, that's how I kind of weaseled my a, way into the, <laughs> the that's credits. a big part. That's a big part of being a PA though. Like people don't realize that it's, it's actually not super easy to get in. Like they, I don't know how it is over there, but in Vancouver, you need to have like traffic safety courses and like traffic guiding. Cause oh, I wish you, we had guidelines for PAs in America like that. <laughs> oh, probably yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the lazier folks that didn't do the schooling, but uh, yeah, you're, no you're making it sound like that's just as problematic though, that they're, <laughs> Well, no, it's, no, it's just that, uh, that, that's a, that is a role on a set that someone needs to watch the equipment make sure it doesn't get stolen or they direct people away from like that. That's, it seems like such a small role, but it really is something that's important. Um, and people don't realize that that's like the ground floor. That's where you got to start. I'll say this, uh, nine 11 happened during our tenure in college. It was like a two year associates program. Yeah. And, uh, so there was still a good about a, amount of fallout, like in the years after that, where the industry, like you know, I'd fly out to LA or drive out and uh, try to jump into film and filmmaking was just dead for a solid couple of years. I mean, there yeah. was, it was hard to find work and uh, they had really changed their parameters and security parameters around the, uh, the lots too. And we, there was also a bit of a homeless issue. So that's why they had security overnight watching sets there, despite how, yeah. you know, blocked off the, uh, the walls and such were, there were still the vagrants, there was still a security threat overall you know, with uh, the fallout of 9-11. But yeah, so watching them overnight, that was just the thing. It's funny, I never actually met Rob Zombie on that set, but then I used to see him on the regular Amoeba Records in LA. He'd be there every new Music Tuesday with his very attractive wife, who is as hot as you imagine she is in real life. <laughs> oh, wow. That, that's why. Uh, that do you have wild. any good security lot stories for us that you can share? Uh, I've not, I've not kind of dug into that corner of the mental palace for a while, but the one that comes to mind, they shot the uh, Outcast Hey Ya video in one of the uh, sound stages down there, and I do recall that, iconic moment. Yeah, they they called in the the ladies who made camera in that video looked somewhat presentable, but I'm pretty sure they made a call to like every porn house in the valley, and I don't want to say I, I don't want to broad stroke, but like there were some skankier looking women that made it down to that shoot. <laughs> uh i'm walking through the parking garage where they were all parked for that shoot and uh it was they were there all day and a couple of them had left early and i did catch two of them standing between two cars and one was trying to block the other squatting and, and peeing yes <laughs> yeah, that's, reason, that's the anecdote that came to mind first that's awesome yeah that well <laughs> street poops are a big thing out here in vancouver yeah. so i know that's something <laughs> that uh yeah people need to pa's got to be watching out for yeah, San Diego um, to Vancouver, something about the Pacific Coast cities, just the homeless, I think, and, uh, and the vagrancy is yeah, worse yeah. than normal in this uh, hemisphere. But 
Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there were coyotes that would come down from the hills at night. You'd have to kind of scare off. <laughs> that was fun. So I can, yeah, that's can a actually good, uh, say I've ran off coyotes before. That's awesome, and it's it's always great that they you know tend to go for the the lesser paid uh, <laughs> employees on a film set to chase yeah. the coyotes. <laughs> My one little brush with fame at the time was they were shooting a, a few of those like ten o'clock dramas, like uh, Providence and uh, crossing jordan i don't know if any of those ring a bell but yeah oh yeah i was standing there i was in shape i had a buzz cut i'm in an all-black outfit securitas and i got pulled in to be the cop behind the cop in a scene where they were knocking on the door and asking questions so i got to stand there and kind of oh you were the right notes yeah i was the other cop that got to write the notes behind them (laughs) so that was the one time i called my mom at the time i was like hey in a few months i'm gonna let you know but i'm on this episode of crossing jordan like you can see me playing this day (laughs) i made it (laughs) mom i made it yeah that's awesome yeah so then like what led you into like producing your own films because you guys have been making independent horror films for fuck is is it over a decade now uh yeah paper street was founded 10 years ago this month of april i believe and uh, congratulations yeah it's hitting the milestone here it's one of those things like even aaron and i had lost touch a bit we were we were great friends for many years and then just kind of went our own way and i think we finally got to the point where we all descended into austin texas and he had started it with a few folks already that he met through gaming and uh, Cameron who happened to go to full sale as well. He met Alex Uding there who does all of our post stuff. And uh, yeah, long story short, Paper Street was launched. I joined it about a year in and uh, we'd done a few shorts and such and then partnered up with a certain producer who helped us. You know, they took a chance on Aaron Universal did to make Karen Obscura as a first time director. And it kind of really set the wheels in motion from there. Yeah, that's We've awesome. Done, uh, done a handful of features now yeah no it's crazy it just seems like uh like the austin texas film scene is so incredible just from afar like i have i haven't been there i'm really really hoping that i can come out for fantastic fest this year that's like one of my bucket lists like i really really want to be there um but yeah there's just such a crazy little film scene there and so many huge voices have come out of that area yeah it's certainly like the home base of robert rodriguez and richard linkletter those are the two bigger ones but other than that it's it's very much a smaller community but it's a helpful community unlike la where like you know people bend over backwards for you there yeah no well and that's what i was meaning is like there just seems to be a lot of independent films that you see a lot of the same types of people or the same group of people constantly working on each other's stuff and i just like i love Mm -hmm. that mentality uh, rather than people being like so competitive with each other it seems like people are actually out there to help yeah so certainly small enough that even if you don't know someone else that's in the industry you know someone who does like it's there's only like two degrees of kevin baconing as far as yeah. austin film goes no kidding that's crazy so uh yeah i guess with all that out of the way like we we can just start talking about some horror movies like uh let's hear about your your intro to horror like what i know this is probably a story you've told a lot or um, but like what's the you're obviously a genre fan where did that stem from definitely a genre fan horror's never been the one thing for me I, and i'm not slighting anyone who like that is their thing and i am yeah. a guest on the terror table where you guys are probably horror first it's funny my co-host becky on the paper street podcast is certainly like horror and metal yeah and then like missed 30 years of television you know <laughs> she's got some yeah. blind spots i've always just kind of been an all-encompassing nerd you know a kid of the 80s with a lot of the same reference points as you guys growing up with uh it's funny. I had a lot of very religious uh, parents around me. My friends weren't allowed to watch rated R stuff. And Aaron, I think even told an anecdote about that. Yeah. <laughs> that involved me on your show. Uh, um, 
I was the kid who my dad came home with like the VHS of Terminator after it had come out on the home video. I was like, here, watch this. My, your mom and I saw it. It was really good. Not thinking I'm six and it was incredibly violent. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that that's kind of started, insane. that started the, the streak. And then, uh, yeah, just like anybody else, weekends at Blockbuster, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street one and three being rented around early 88 and watching those was the first time, like scared the shit out of me. It's kind of my intro. But yeah, from like 87 to 91 ish, just all those things that played endlessly on HBO, including the movie we'll talk about shortly, just certainly influenced me. I would say I'm actually sci-fi guy first. I think sci-fi yeah. and sci-fi horror is probably my my subgenre of horror. I, I love the most and uh, anything is better. So alien or the thing. Yeah both of them <laughs> yeah alien <laughs> alien for sure is like a top 10 for me um yeah. planet of the apes the original uh oh yeah, yeah the thing the thing for sure people will uh i know there's some like horror purists that got mad that stranger things the kid had a thing poster on his wall because the movie just straight up was not loved or a hit at the time yeah, like, yeah. Certainly would came have later that. and i didn't see the thing till like 10 years ago so and i'm a huge carpenter fan but uh yeah big trouble little china would be my first like my carpenter in was that movie and i i can quote it endlessly yeah it just gets um, better every year too like so many yeah, of his films i think nightmare sticks would be the most because it was the first thing that scared the shit out of me a couple nights later i still had like a crazy nightmare that's still in my brain like it's vivid to this day about it and uh so yeah for whatever reason you know that that reaction that emotion stuck with me so horror stayed a pretty steady thing throughout life but like again i'm a little too broad with my taste i love comedy I love action yeah um i love action more than you we'll talk about that too what the, <laughs> Actually, oh you, boy you, you're shitting on Die Hard and other things all the time <laughs> on your show <laughs> yeah uh aquaman being the better movie we just oh, we man. solved this <laughs> i solved that uh, debate the other night here when yeah. we're editing our film with my our editor jason and he, I said Aquaman is a masterpiece. So he instantly pulled up Google and said, is or define masterpiece. And then he went to Aquaman masterpiece question mark. And the first thing that popped up was Aquaman is a cinematic masterpiece. And it's correct. The internet's always right. Not enjoy Aquaman. I just, you know, I think it's for my, influence alone, despite what you think of the Beatles, you can't not say they're the greatest for influence alone. Die Hard was pitched you know, in studios for the next 30 years of oh it's die hard on a battleship it's die hard like this yes so no, you're, you you're entirely hard, right it's, it's due for that yeah die but hard that's is due that, for a space sequel true that is as bad as five was yeah i wouldn't be surprised if they shoot him there next that's my grenade that i like to throw into like film like in groups of film fanatics is just that aquaman's better than die hard because you, you'll never get better reactions in a, a real debate whether i truly believe that or not uh, I'm one of those people that won't fight on things like that because I maintain that every movie is somebody's favorite movie. Like, yep, sure. We have this conversation with Paper Street guys and like and Becky as well. Like, somebody's favorite movie is Truman Show. It's not the best movie that came out the month of the year it came out, but yeah, it might have been the time and place where their dad died that day or some crazy thing happened or they got so stoned and watched it and it just hit them the right way. Totally. Yeah. You know, That's like your least and favorite Blue Kevin Crush Smith too. movie. Yeah. Your least favorite Kevin Smith movie is some stoner's favorite Kevin Smith movie because he watched it in college 50 times. Yeah. Oh, that's I would like scary. to say that I, I can like proudly him. be a Blue Crush 2 guy for life. Yeah. Two? Yeah, but, I didn't see yeah. two. Oh, yeah, you have but, to see two. It's great. You don't even need to see the first one. No, it two has nothing yeah. to do with the first one. It's the, the jump. Never thought about it again. Yeah. It's the judgment day of uh, surfing films. Okay, any so returning you were... actors in that one? Sorry? Did any actors return for part two? Oh, no. Oh, no. No, no, no. They were like, oh, this name is free domain right now. That, that's <laughs> what that felt like. Yeah. Uh, so being the badass kid of your group, 
what video games did you grow up playing? Uh, don't, I don't think I was the badass kid of the group, but uh, I was God, the, you had Terminator. Kinda, yeah, yeah. I, I guess. Oh, I guess in that regard, yeah, it was cool because I could. Yeah, you were you were the kid who had like the hookups <laughs> yeah. whose parents yeah. like didn't care that's as who, much. That's who I was. Guess who too. came out better, more well adjusted? Me or the ones who were repressed and weren't allowed to watch those things? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> no. That's something uh, I'm uh, living through. I'll right be now. honest. Uh, the minute PlayStation and Xbox entered the fray, I stopped being a gamer. As a kid, I had, you know, Nintendo, Super Mario 3 was like revolutionary to my generation. Yeah. Uh, we played Goldmine into the wee hours, into dawn sometimes, and Mario Kart battle mode as well. But yeah. I, I, after that, I, I fell off completely. So I would never consider myself a gamer. I hope that That's doesn't what about confusing. What about Booger Man? Do you remember Booger Man? <laughs> Me and my buddy were talking about this the other night. That was a Super Nintendo game. Do you remember Earthworm Jim? I certainly remember Earthworm Jim. Yeah, I have an yeah. action figure of Earthworm Jim still to this. Actually, day. do you remember oh, yeah. that Terminator side scroller for Super Nintendo? Yep, I have the, the Judge Dredd. It was like one. the arcade port. <laughs> yeah, the Judge Dread one is so bad; like it's like impossible. Um, yeah, that was an era bit. where they partnered every single IP with a video game, no matter how the Seven Up Like, yeah, they would, yeah, Alien they Three had, has a video game. Well, they had Pepsi Man. There was a game called Pepsi Man where you play the Pepsi Circle. And then the same thing happened with Seven Up. It was just Man, wild. Pepsi used to be so much cooler. Don't. Pepsi's. <laughs> they used to Pepsi's be like the, the radical. <laughs> Pepsi's got Britney. What do you got? Well, Britney's got herself finally. So we can all be happy yeah. about that. Yes, we can be. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Her. Well, yeah. So you're you found your way into like, I guess it's, it's through association that uh, you produce so many horror films. So is there something about the way that horror is being treated in this day and age that is really captivating for you? Or how, how do you feel about generally working in that, in that uh, sandpit there? I'll say that, I mean, if you wanted to bring it down numbers wise, I think horror is always undervalued and it's the broadest watched genre as far as age, as far as ethnicities, as far as all that stuff, you know, it's not, uh, it's not relegated to just one type of misfit or <laughs> subsect of society. Um, we found ourselves, we're all just fans, of course, but uh, we, I think we've also found that it's easier to write in that space, to produce in that space, to to find a niche there. And yeah, they the return on them is usually larger, especially if you kind of play in the sandbox you're playing in, which is the lower budget yeah. stuff. So, yeah, no kidding. Well, we, don't, there... we don't think we'll always make just horror or just horror comedy yeah. stuff. We certainly feel like we've... <laughs> We don't want to be pigeonholed into it, but we we have we've I don't want to say it's a niche we found, but horror comedy has been like the, the most steady thing I think uh, our brand is related to right now. Totally. Well, you guys are killer at it with Scare Package being one of the funniest anthologies in years. Um, yeah, that, that I cannot wait for Scare Package too. But uh, has there has there been some? Let's get into talking about what we've all seen recently. Like, Sean, have you seen? Any uh, horror films have stood out recently? And keep in mind, you've never been on the show, so you can highlight whatever you want here. Uh, I'm trying to think of the last actual outright horror movie I watched. Um, it, it was X. That was the first yes. and only one I've seen in a good bit here. And uh, I selfishly had to run see that because I was the one that was going to edit a, a Paper Street Roundtable we did on YouTube about X that uh, my aforementioned co-host Becky Sayers hosted with a panel of good film critics here from like Bloody Disgusting and all. So oh, yeah, awesome. I, I liked X. I've been a fan of Ty West. I don't know if his execution always meets his ideas, but like I'm rooting for the guy at all times. You know, I want him to, yeah. to make his stuff. And I kind of love that he made a movie that looked exactly not like A24, even though it was promoted as an A24 yeah. movie. And oh, yeah, uh, the first time I saw the trailer people. in theaters, it just I was like, oh, is this a new Texas Chainsaw? Again, kind of mm -hmm. re reboot. And then uh, as it continued on, I was like, oh, this is its own thing. Cool. Yeah. So just I found myself heavy... digging it. Yeah. 
Yeah, some heavy uh, inspiration and roots in Texas Chainsaw. Like, there's a couple shots Certainly. that are pulled right from it. And uh, yeah, no, I I fucking love Dex. That was such a fun theatrical experience. Boozy, did you have a chance to check it out yet? I have not gotten out to see that yet. Damn, missing out, homie. You gotta go to this week. I know. Um, Boozy, have you watched anything recently that you want to chat about? I've just been watching more of Black Summer. Oh, the zombie show on Netflix? Yeah. And once again, like I know that we I only talked about it a little bit last week, but I'm still invested in the zombie show and that's saying something. So Yeah. I'm also I'm surprised Walking Dead is still on. Is it still going? I think it is. I yeah, I've no it's idea. going in at least two to three spinoffs are currently going. That, yeah, see, that's and that it. blows my mind. That's why like I like talking about Black Summer being refreshing is there's like all that stuff going on that I have like zero interest watching, but this feels so much like more exciting. Yeah. Well, uh the court of popular opinion isn't normally something that's uh that's always on point. Like imagine dragons is selling out stadiums boozy. So it shouldn't that, be that really just it hurts. <laughs> okay um yeah the only thing i can think of that i watched recently last night i just uh we put on the wolfman the original universal universal monster film uh from 1941 with lon cheney jr and bella lugosi and uh yeah we did an episode on that i think it would have been about a year and a half ago but i've been really in the mood for these classic horror like classic black and white horror films and uh, the Wolfman is just such a fun ride. Like we watched Dracula a couple days before and it's just so dry compared to the Wolfman. Like the pacing of it is so on point. Like, I don't know how it holds up so well, but like the, the atmosphere in those, in that movie, it's like, especially on Blu-ray and on a really good TV, it's starting, like, they just feel like every frame is like a, a painted Disney setting. And uh, I don't know. I love them. And uh, Sean, are you a fan of the universal horror movies? Oh, absolutely. In fact, in our rapid fire 15, we do on the podcast. That's usually one of the questions we'll ask anybody that's got like a horror bend to them is what's your favorite universal monster and monster movie. I'm with you, Dracula. If you showed people who'd never seen them all, I'm, yeah. I'm certain Dracula would be one of their lesser favorite ones. Cause it totally. just kind of never, never crescendos. It just keeps that kind of steady. He does a stare and does, yeah. a stare again, does a stare again. Yeah. It's not, it's not uh, one of my top three or four favorite ones. I, I love Frankenstein. I love creature from the black lagoon. Uh, I do like the wolf man. I like the invisible man. Yeah, The Invisible Man is one that I think just grows in my esteem every year. Like, I, I like that one more and more every time I watch it, just because fucking The Invisible Man is just such a dickhead in that movie. <laughs> yeah. It's so fun, so fun watching him. And speaking of those rapid fire 15s, I hope you know that we uh, have prepared a little terror table rapid fire oh, for, you, for you. <laughs> yeah, I don't um, think you will uh... get any of it. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so oh wait, it's that. actually like a quiz or just like asking favorite stuff. If you uh, quiz me, I'll I'll freeze. I'll. I'll oh no, no quizzes. No yeah. Quizzes. Do you have a pen and paper? I yeah, I wanted I to throw in that that train question. <laughs> Which train question? Oh, it's like, well, if two I... trains are going this direction. That... Yeah. Oh, like a problem solving. Yeah, we'll have to get question. him to actually problem solve all. It oh, I thought air. he was going to give me the would you run over those people or would you help them even though you got away with it? Ooh, <laughs> It'll be close. Oh, to a that. moral question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, I will say it didn't dawn on me when you asked me, but Nightmare Alley. It's been a couple months, but I went and saw a theatrical version of the black and white cut of it. Yeah, and I did like that. I've noticed a lot of people watching it at home didn't take to it as much as I did, but the watching the uh, no the uh, the new Del Toro one, he did oh, a black yeah. and white yeah. version. Yeah. Oh damn. Playing. Yeah. Sorry, I got a helicopter right over my head. I hope you guys don't hear that. No, but, I actually uh, can't. <laughs> watching that in, in cinemas, uh, yes, it probably could have been 20 minutes shorter. I hate when people use it as a, a go-to for a, 
<laughs> a slight on a movie, but yeah. In in that case, I'm 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 actually agreeing. I think Del Toro probably could have trimmed it a bit, but I I dug it. I mean, the production design and all that was top yeah. notch as Del Toro stuff always is. But yeah, I actually re- I threw that on the other night as well because it's on Disney Plus now, and uh, I saw it in the theater and I absolutely loved it. But it's like watching it at home, being able to just really examine the sets and like all the art direction that they put into that thing. It's so beautiful. Plus, you get yeah. to see Bradley Cooper get a hand job, which is something I've always wanted to see, I guess. Yeah, I would say this might be his best uh, acting performance. I've never been the biggest fan of him. It's nothing against him. He just rubs me the wrong way for whatever reason. I, I'm the exact same boat. I like him in this film, but uh, I like I've him never... as Rocket Raccoon because he neither looks nor sounds like Bradley Cooper. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, oh, I don't know if you've seen Licorice Pizza yet, but the, his I will scene... say he had a great like 10 minute whirlwind in that movie yeah. where he comes in like a coked up tornado. So, yeah, yeah that's... maybe he's maybe he's turned the corner. This is his Channing Tatum year where he's like suddenly not shit anymore to me. Yep. Nope. Totally agree. Uh, awesome. Well, do you guys have any other movies that you want to mention that you've checked out recently before we get on to our main feature, which will be the Fright Night double feature? That's all I had. That's all you had. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, think... I saw Batman and Jackass 4 and stuff like that, but they're not exactly horror. No, no, ta- oh, long. you should talk but... about Batman. Yeah, uh, I do talk about Batman way too long on uh, Paper <laughs> Street's next round table that's on the YouTube channel now, as you guys will hear this. Awesome, so it's a, throw that in a link somewhere <laughs> or a show yeah. note. But the, yeah, I, I liked it. I, I'm, I'm a lifelong Batman fan, and uh, it's not my favorite of his movies or maybe even my favorite take on it overall but i really dug the uh the idea of it just being kind of like a noir crime tale yeah no i i love that aspect of it too did you watch the the joker scene that was cut i've seen it everywhere online and i didn't even want to watch it because my one scene i did not like in the movie because it felt like a post-credit scene was the scene with the joker so i didn't even bother with it yeah they did it this would have you know helped that a lot because it does kind of feel like a post-credit scene in the near the end of the movie um but no i'm i'm very curious to see the direction they're going to go because i think that they are setting up to do you know a little whack like they're i think they're conditioning us with colin farrell being so heavily like done up in the makeup to know that we're going to start getting like i want kind of a campier poison ivy i want killer croc in in yeah that'd be great actually and uh, I think they're setting it up with that, with uh, the end of the film. I have my my reasons you, why I think. Do you feel Croc's like coming in next. since you've seen it, you've been more like moody and depressed, maybe looking out windows longer? Yes, and my my Nirvana intake has definitely skyrocketed. Uh, but I do. I I loved it. I really 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 dig that movie. Um, cool. What you mentioned? You saw Nightmare Alley. Batman. Oh, I what think was... the only other thing I mentioned was Jackass 4. Right. Okay. So I was watching this with my roommate and his friend last night, and uh, they made me turn it off. So I want to hear your thoughts on it. I Can somehow have seen all off? four of them opening weekend in the theater, and I, that was never the plan. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's sometimes it's what you need, especially in a pandemic. Uh, just yeah. seeing, I didn't know I needed that much uh, penis and balls, but yeah, <laughs> like the amount of dick shit in that movie, uh, and like the amount of times it's just oh, people let's... getting hit in the balls. It's... I feel like that for them was like the safer bet. Like, I don't want to get shot out of a cannon. Just they do that kick too. me in the dick. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a lot of dick kicking in it. But uh, and a lot well, of there's no the... there's no way to review those movies. You know what you're getting when you go to see Jackass. But <laughs> totally. I will say, I think the night vision bit was probably the standout. Yeah, that was my one. favorite. Yeah, Silence of the Lambs. That was yeah. so good. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I love that. Awesome. Well, do you guys want to get on to talking about our 
main feature. We'll be talking about both Fright Night films. Yeah, yeah let's do it. Awesome. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break and we'll see you guys on the other side. What would you do if you accidentally discovered the house next door was occupied by something not human? Something horrifying. Something unspeakably evil. No one believes you. Mom, I didn't have a nightmare. Not your mom. They did kill a girl over there. Not your girlfriend. Charlie, is this some sort of a trick to get me back? Not even the police. Look, I know it's crazy. I know that, but look, Lieutenant! It knows that you know. You'll do anything to protect yourself. But it will do anything to protect its secret. This could be the night of your life. Fright Night. Coming to your neighborhood this summer. And welcome to our main feature presentation, where today we're going to be discussing two of Sean Talley's picks, which is Fright Night from 1985 and Fright Night from 2011, the 3D remake. Uh, So this, just right off the top, I've talked about Fright Night so many times in the five years of terror that we've had. Uh, this is one that I obviously thought we were going to cover. It's, it's, it's surprising we haven't done this like way it's, sooner. Yeah, it's ridiculous. What the, there's a couple of those heavy hitters that like we still have never done the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I mm-hmm. feel like there's those certain ones, and I think it's because we started with the thing so early that we're like, we got to wait till we. Well, and we did all of a the whole Alien series. Yeah, yeah and Jaws. Like you want to wait for the time where you feel like you're going to be able to do these films justice and uh, what we've realized is no we will always just be dumb fucks talking about but, horror but also i feel like tons of other people have had better conversations about it so i think for us a lot of times yeah it was fun to just talk about other stuff too yeah for sure well sean what was it about fright night that made made you choose choose these films mm-hmm. so uh when you told me that was kind of the the gimmick of you know bring bring a movie in to talk about i looked through your archive to see if that was the one but the truth is i had five in mind when this all came about and you know five movies that are part of my dna they being the aforementioned original terminator big term a little china yep. but also beetlejuice the burbs and fright night so it was like thinking about those five and all of them flirt with horror in one way or yep. another or some are considered horror horror adjacent but like fright night is also humorous but it's certainly the one you probably call horror first and foremost and this is the terror table after all so i just yeah. threw that to you first and uh you know when i asked mitch boozy if he would be interested in discussing it i'm pretty sure he asked if we could fuck yeah no that's pretty <laughs> much exactly what happened and you just naming off those five like i'm like oh man those are all mine too like uh, <laughs> a couple of them at least for sure i, I love all those ones that you mentioned but uh, yeah, and I actually don't even know Boozy in the amount of times we've talked about horror. Like, I have no idea if you've even seen the original Fright Night. Have you? Or had you I, before this? I have, but it was once again, like on the Scream Network kind of thing where I just remembered yeah. bits and pieces. Like I remembered some of the end. 
but yeah watching it again it felt fresh like having you know i don't remember seeing all of it so yeah do and am i like because i might just have covid brain where i'm forgetting certain events that happened in real life like did we show this that i feel like we we at least had a plan to show fright night through, i think we uh, did but we never yeah ended up showing i think it. that's I right don't... when that was right when covid hit we had planned to screen fright night and uh then everything shut down so yeah no that's this is one i'm still still waiting to see on the big screen mm-hmm. um this is a staple for for myself as well and I, I think it goes back like for me personally the the cover art uh this was one of the ones that stood out the most in the video store and you know as a little curious teenager or much younger than teenager be walking through the the horror aisles looking for all the the ones that would stand out and fright night was one of the it's i think it's the first one that's grilled into my brain as like when i think of horror movies and video stores that's what stands out and same with the gate too uh the poster for the gate Definitely. too so, yeah those ones really stand out um but i had no idea what i was getting in into when i originally saw it and uh this is a movie i've seen without exaggerating it's got to be in around 15 times and uh it's a it's a comfort movie i recently when moving to this new city i my friend who owns a a club here he has like a big projector screen and an amazing sound system and uh he doesn't watch horror movies and neither does his girlfriend or any of his friends so they're like let's have a movie night and i want you to show us something that's actually going to scare us something that's going to like you know really fuck us up so I went with the loved ones, the Australian horror movie, <laughs> right? And they hated that. They they were like, "That's not even scary. That's just disturbing." But it was it was so funny watching them squirm, and uh, they really, really did not have fun watching that. Uh, I had a blast watching them watch it, but I felt like I needed to lighten the mood up with the second one. So I was like, "You know what? Fright Night is a bulletproof choice. Like you can show this to anyone." I have it. I find it so hard to believe that you could show this to someone and they could say they hate it. I think that there's moments that they could hate uh, Evil Ed, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about. But that's all a part of its charm for me. And uh, it was this was the best rewatching it on that big screen with those people and seeing how how well it holds up and how it's still so funny and it's so it's such a great representation of the vampire subgenre and all of the best tropes that come from it, like. You know, the sexuality uh, of the, the whole comment on puberty, which this movie plays with. Like, once again, I'm going to just start drooling here. So I'm going to let one of you guys take over. What is it about Fright Night that uh, that clicks with you, Sean? So staple of HBO during my youth, as we've said, I've, I've rewatched it more than a lot of movies. It's probably a top 10 most seen. And I'm almost certain it's the most seen of any horror film, if nothing else. But yeah, yeah, I mean, scary movie obsessed teenager who fears his neighbor may be an actual vampire. So it's not the very first I watched. I told you Nightmare on Elm Street 1 and 3 is what really, I think, kicked it off. But yeah. I must have seen this just weeks after like that same year for sure. Because um, I, I agree with you. Like, it's a good gateway. It's not particularly frightening. But it's, you know, I credit it for certainly kickstarting my love of the genre. And maybe horror comedy <laughs> stems from it, you know. And uh, yeah. we'll talk about the slick remake it got in 2011, which I, I do enjoy. Um, yeah, it played with tones, you know, balance between the tones, which and also to that point that you said earlier, it's my earliest memory of a film being meta and self-aware. Yeah. And like he's talking about vampire tropes and, you know, like by the end of the decade, that was its own trope, like Monster Squad and Wes Craven's New Nightmare into screen. Yeah. 
that became a trope that everything's self-aware because you always get weird like walking dead like there's no zombies in your world like you don't know what yeah. that thing is yeah. Yeah. But, but fright night's one of the early examples i think of them saying oh no here are rules and here are things we should do and uh, some of them work some of them don't but like i love that both versions play with the the rules of vampire stuff yeah i love that too and especially with uh the character of peter vincent like that's something that growing up i obviously had no idea like i i hadn't watched a vincent price movie until much later after this and uh so seeing that the the inspiration that they pulled or tom holland pulled which was one of my favorite parts of the screening is when it said that the film was written and directed by tom holland at the beginning uh my friend yelled out tom holland he's tiny um he's talking about about (laughs) spider-man so yeah, well like spider-man yeah he's a small man actor's pretty pretty short i think yeah can i tell a quick story to your point about the creature feature stuff yes please so growing up in tampa florida our local area we had a creature feature host and i was none the wiser that we were not special that other u.s cities like st louis and detroit had their own versions of creature features with macabre you know hosting uh some are still around like spinguli um but yep. if, if you guys don't know what we're talking about think like the tales from the crypt crypt keeper or even joe bob briggs they're in that yeah. same vein they're kind of introing outroing a film they're doing interstitial bits in between Elvira. dr paul bearer yeah had like bad puns you know i gotta go call my mummy you know stupid shit like that. <laughs> um or so john yeah, carpenter back... john carpenter and body bags exactly yeah yeah. Um, so that so that already like was a cool in for me watching that because i was already familiar with dr paul bearer so yeah, back when we were, uh, you know, four nationwide broadcast networks, this actually predates Fox becoming number four in the U.S., but uh, we had local, like, UHF channels. I don't know how you Canucks deal with TV and signals, but we had, like, the UHF means Weird Al Yankovic to us. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, Tampa had a couple really cool channels called, like, V32, where I first discovered Jerry O'Connell's superhero Canadian TV series, My Secret Identity. Yes. If you guys know what that is. Yes, I do. Uh, we, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we also had WTOG Channel 44, which I think later became UPN and CW and such. But uh, back in the day, it was just like an independent channel. And yeah, the creature feature on Saturday was Dr. Paul Bear had a two hour block. And it was followed by Lynn Austin, who was the famous Hooters girl, because Hooters is from Tampa. <laughs> uh, she hosted like a comedy. Oh, shout so out I Hooters. Watching a lot of, yeah, a lot of R rated comedy stuff on broadcast TV too that was edited. But, uh, yeah, he was the fucking best. Bad jokes, bad puns, all of it. So um, seeing that Peter Vincent was in a similar vein. And then, yeah, you, at later you realize his name's kind of like an homage to Peter Cushing and Vincent Price even. Yeah. But that in, you know, Roddy McDowell, who might be most widely known for being Cornelius in a handful of the old Planet of the Apes movies. Um, side tangent. It's funny. I, I, <laughs> I discovered the Planet of the Apes movies in a marathon on USA Network. They used to have a thing called Up All Night, which is another thing that's in that creature feature vein where... Uh, Gilbert Gottfried and different hosts throughout the years would come in and out of the, <laughs> the films, but um, yes, yeah, Gilbert Gottfried's got to be—he's got to become a horror host at this point. That would yeah. be amazing. I would just love to see him narrate movies, yeah. <laughs> like do do the uh, mystery science theater thing. Exactly. I was gonna say yeah. like he could ruin like ruin like it would be his version of Werner Herzog stuff talking yeah. about like nature. Oh my god! Sorry, I only tangent into that because thinking in hindsight, Roddy McDowell was in a very well-seen horror movie of my youth and then also a well-seen comedy in overboard i've seen that movie way too many freaking times and also yeah. in planet of the apes like so he covered all the genres <laughs> sci-fi yeah. the comedy and the horror but uh, no he he's a and he's such a he's such a treat in this movie and i like we'll obviously get to talking about the the remake which also i am a fan of as well and uh how they kind of update update that that character trope with like a, a new chris angel or something like right. that that's how the that was just genius to me but um 
No, yeah, I I love all those elements about it, and I I want to. I'm curious now, boozy. What uh, what are your Fright Night thoughts? Are you going to be the dark horse on this one again? No, I actually I really enjoyed Fright. Well, you think I was going to slander it? Well, I have no idea. You're so hard to to gauge sometimes, that's and that's true. what makes the no. Show it was fun. it was super cool. I really liked it. Also, having just with vampire lore in general, thinking about like some of the stuff that Stephen King has written in terms of vampire lore and then, and then watching this and how kind of you can draw certain rules through all of these. And I just really yeah. like that. They, like you guys had mentioned that they did address a lot of that stuff. And I like that th- there was more to it than just a classic vampire with fangs. It became yeah. so much more. And I think that's probably also one of the best parts of it is a lot of it's just a surprise to see more and more of this stuff happening. I will say, though, they maybe it's just because I'm so removed from the time, but I feel like they could have got somebody sexier to do. Like no, the, I'm a sexy no, vampire. No, I was it's, just it, say this reminds Randall. me of like Halloween three, where it's just like, why is everybody like Whoa, all over this? A, Tom Atkins. Yeah, I know um, times change, boozy. But if you asked women who were like forty-five yeah. and above, they were into Chris Sarandon. Chris for Sarandon, a while. Hey, forty-five now, and above—that's fair. No, but I'm He's saying like of the time, of that time, he was—he was a—he was, was a hot commodity of that yeah. time. Now, granted, I think a couple years later, he played such a weasel in *A Princess Bride*, and I think that like almost clouds That's people's opinion of him okay yeah. yeah he's prince humperdinck and princess bride so a lot of people can't see him as anything else because he un- he played it a little too well but right. prior to that yeah he was considered um you know i i don't i disagree on that one i think i just i, I don't think about he was, where he's like laying down by the fireplace and and he walks over with his you know man his... are you fucking kidding me think about the fly and jeff goldblum just deciding he's a sex symbol on that and compare him to chris sarandon you can't tell me which one is hotter this is basic terror table stuff too, where we're going to debate, uh, have a bunch of straight dudes debating which guy's yeah. hotter. Are you kidding? Um, but oh man, he's way hotter than than Goldblum. Go- no, okay, okay, Goldblum has the fucking energy to just tell you he's a sex symbol. He doesn't need to show Chris you. Chris doesn't but need he to do does. shit. Chris, Chris, all he's got to do is like suck on an apple real nice and slow, and it's just like oh damn. And especially oh, with that music. Thank you for reminding me. That apple looked like shit. It looked like a tire that had blown out, and he just threw it. God. This this whole conversation though it did remind me of something that we were just talking about yesterday. My roommate and I were watching Thief, like Michael Mann's Thief, uh, and James Caan being like the 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 main character in that. Like that's something that we don't see anymore. Like we don't see, and this uh, to me I can't compare. Chris Randon is inhumanly attractive, but like James Caan, and I know that his character doesn't need to be attractive, but you never see those like normal looking dudes anymore in films like as lead characters and yeah uh, i i t- there's there was a mid there's a part in the mid 2000s where they just kind of like they couldn't afford budgets for certain kind of hot guys so yeah i was just kind of those mid dudes and i feel yeah, like we they, lost they, all of them yeah no I, I don't know like well now it's just all like really glossy super okay sorry we're, we're getting really on yeah. to hot dudes here sean what's your take james con <laughs> hot or not <laughs> No, in fact, uh, rewatched Thief a few months ago, and it was like a week, the same week I watched, uh, was it Modern Romance or one of the Albert Brooks yeah. movies? And I thought, my God, the 80s were wild because 
guys who had no business being shirtless were shirtless and you could see their curly chest hair connect yep. over their shoulder to their curly back hair like a woolly tank top and oh, i was yeah. like god that is we are far removed from that the cw actors now permeate all things and you can't exactly be, yeah you can't like, not fit the mold of just like really pretty <laughs> J- yeah james Conn is like uh, his hair's thinning in the front and he's like a shorter guy and he's just like and I, I, he's not supposed to be super sexy and thief or right. anything, but it's just like, I miss those. Days. Like now you look at, obviously that movie is stated as like the biggest influence on winding ref and making drive. And they are so similar. Like it's really interesting watching both those back to back. But long story short, Chris Sarandon is a hottie. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Chris Sarandon is a babe. And I'm just I, saying him trying to woo like, 18 year olds oh, as this man. dude with his hair like you're yeah. such a millennial boozy <laughs> yeah um something about speaking of the sexuality of this movie like uh there's a few things that the the sequel will get into later maybe didn't do but like billy cole wasn't even a character in the second one as, mm-hmm. as played by jonathan stark dude just looks like an actor who would have been in paul verhoeven movies i don't know if that makes yes. sense to you but he just looks yeah. like a paul verhoeven movie actor it could be because he resembles somebody who is in a bunch of movies, but uh, yeah, Tom Holland. I mean, he wrote and directed this, but uh, it's hard to argue that his biggest contribution to film and horror is obviously he also wrote and directed Child's Play, which yeah. is still an active franchise and current TV series. I will say I'm a little. I've seen part two. I own part two. I've not watched it in maybe 20 years, so I probably should try to revisit that before we got into this. But I actually it is weird that gonna sorry, I was just gonna say that. it's weird that it didn't become a big franchise in the same vein, like two. Yeah two kind of bombed out and it, it fell apart we'll get to a crazy note about what almost happened with part three at the end of this before we jump into the 2011 one but yeah there's a a couple notes i made like the score the soundtrack is like yeah. wonderfully of its mid-80s moment you know Devo, <laughs> jay giles band ian hunter even sparks who if you've not seen edgar wright's documentary from last year on the band sparks i do recommend that yeah it's but great yeah, the score was Brad Fidel, who a year prior made the very iconic Terminator march. And yeah. uh, it's funny, there's a cue, the whole sequence when he's hunting Evil Ed in the in the alleyways. I legitimately, my whole life, have thought like that was draft one of the Law and Order theme. <laughs> on order, when the rest of it's very synth heavy and very mid 80s, but like right. that one bit just feels like, yeah, strangely yeah. out of place. But um, no, I, I'm, I am curious. So, he as as boozy's just sitting like a recent kind of it's fresher in his mind is there anything uh you thought it did better or worse did you also revisit the 2011 one before actually the 2011 one that's the first time i had seen it okay was uh yeah just watching it for this i sorry what was your other question would like what did you notice differently or like did you notice anything from so no they were let's stick on the original for a second but like watching it yeah through fresh eyes in mm-hmm. 2022 like what 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 are some things that you took away from it oh man that's a that's a loaded question i think i what i like i don't want to do that comparison thing but I, I think some of the the better moments of it even though i i said he wasn't uh, as classically attractive is i find that the the sexuality in this movie is so much uh, it, it's way better put out through this entire thing to actually make it feel like this feels more like a a vampire than i feel like colin farrell ever really is and that's not a slight against it i just it it feels more like a natural progression of this and i like that we've talked about terminator a couple of times because especially when they go to like the dance and everything does feel very like 
Terminator-ish down to like even having stuff go off and having everybody like run a scatter you know what i mean yeah like he won't kill us in this giant crowded room and then it's yeah yeah it, it, it still feels very terminator, the same way terminator does yeah mm-hmm. and i i really like the 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 fate the standoff at the end and how that all builds and everything and i also will say that i prefer this version of evil i feel that whoa yeah, yeah i I think I do that, too, that but... is a scalding take. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think that he's very of his time in terms of being that side character. You don't like, Oh, he's so heightened. I, I feel like yeah. and that's like, he's so over the top. And like, if there's one, th- like it's grating hearing his voice. I, right? I think the part I like about maybe, yeah, like his voice is annoying. I think the part I like about this version of it is you get to spend more time with those yeah. characters developing like i feel like their friendship was a lot more organic where in you know when you watch 2011 evil dies pretty quick and you're kind of left with pictures and then watching like videos yeah. being like oh we used to it's like yeah, that you... wolverine p- picture that meme where he's <laughs> just touching the <laughs> yeah the new one you meet them and they're already on the outs as a relationship exactly, yeah like so they just different. reminisce yeah. most of that movie about their friendship yeah and and it opens up another question of uh or like a theme in childhood like in the our youths where there are so many people that you are probably friends with that you had nothing in common with or that you wouldn't be friends with if you had other options yeah just because of proximity and yeah. well then it's like yeah i think i have a couple friends where it like went from when i was a child that i'm just like i cannot imagine us sitting in a room together now like um but you're just kind of friends with who's around you but evil is just so so over the top and so abrasive throughout mm-hmm. the film and i definitely agree that i like that you get to see him really in pain in the original fright night and that that whole transition is something that's kind of lacking in the sequel yeah it makes it remake, more impactful sorry. that he's turns into this evil henchman after the fact yeah yeah, there's some line reads that are just cringy. I agree. They always happen. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah you, you, he's fleshed out a, a bit more despite that in, uh, in the original. And I, I definitely do appreciate I didn't check out to see who did the practical effects for this, but oh, there is amazing. some fantastic stuff in this. And I like always appreciate stuff like this, especially the fact that they don't shy away from showing you. There's quite a bit of stuff with like faces and mouths, especially that that stuff's yeah. always enjoyable. Yeah, I even really like Ed's wolf uh, moment, you know, yeah. he's sort of detransforming. I think it's really good. When he's yeah. crawling around on the floor there. Yeah. Yeah. No, the 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 makeup effects are fucking unreal in this movie. I I love them and like that's one thing cuz it's obviously something you see on the poster is uh, uh what's her name again? The the girlfriend. Um Amanda Beers is her character. Yeah, Amy, Amy, Amy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Amy. Yeah. She uh like seeing her mouth like when she has mm-hmm. the the giant mouth at the end, it's just something it's iconic. And what I love too, though, and this is something that some of my favorite horror comedies do is yes, it's funny and it's kind of charming throughout it. But like that final act is it's brutal. Like it's really like strong horror filmmaking. And I love watching how dark it gets and how like yeah, it's gross super mean spirited the, the yeah. further it goes for a, a film that does have quite a bit of comedy in it. Yeah. Cool. Do you guys uh what what are some stuff you want to talk about when we're when we're when discussing Fright Night, this original? Uh looked up a few things about it before this. Uh he Tom Holland wanted Charlie Sheen, but immediately thought he was too handsome for the role. It's not nothing against uh William William Ragsdale, but 
he didn't think Charlie Sheen would come off as what a uh, nice way man. to get put down. Like, so yeah. you can't do this. You're, You're too far pretty, too right? attractive. That's uh, going to be my go-to. Yeah, <laughs> he did consider Vincent Price for sure to play the Peter Vincent character, but I guess he was in too poor health at the time oh, man. Um, and uh. couldn't do so. But I guess that later on saw it and gave his blessing and thought Roddy McDowell was great. And then he, I did, I read something that the original ending was going to see in a similar vein. They're making out on the bed, and you hear Peter Vincent back hosting the show. Mm-hmm. He was actually going to become a vampire on live TV and do like a kind of smash cut to that, and uh, that would have been kind of like something. the howling. Although that would have, yeah, that would have blown the sequel yeah. idea. Obviously, them becoming vampire hunters, but would have been something. Uh, I was I, actually going to ask since you just segued to it. What is this? I, if I had more time, I was going to actually watch uh, two because that came out what only like two years after or something. Yeah, I think it was eighty-seven or eighty-eight. Yeah, I think it was like eighty-eight, like shortly after. Um, could you guys tell me, like, what is it? So I have never vampire seen Vampire Hunters? I've avoided it. Uh, Sean, do you have any insight so, on Friday Night Yeah, 2? so Roddy McDowell and Williams Rag- Ragdale do return. He's not dating Amy any longer. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, essentially they become, like, professional at it. Like, he, uh, Roddy McDowell's character just leans into it. He's like, yeah, well, let's go do this. Let's kill some more. So it's kind of like, a, like a, a buddy cop movie? Sort of. Um, again, it's been 20 years, but I do remember they fight like a whole uh, harem of like lady vampires in that one. This might be yeah. worth checking out, honestly. Yeah, I need to. I need to watch it. Oh, that <laughs> was my last note too about uh, the the weird connection to like part three is that two two bombed. There was a plan for three. Roddy McDowell said, "I'll do it. I want to be a co-producer and I want to bring back Tom Holland." And uh, unfortunately, the rights had gone to another producer named Jose Menendez. And like a week or two before they were all set to meet up and discuss part three, Jose Menendez and his wife were murdered by their sons. And if that sounds familiar, the Menendez, that's the Menendez brothers. brothers case. Yes. Holy Jose Menendez shit. had the rights to Fright Night. And I, I do believe Tom Holland has them reverting back to him like this year or next year or something. But like the whole Menendez case has a weird connection to this movie because, yeah, they wanted to make part three and that, is that man had the rights. That, that is, is wild. Wild. Yeah, it man, that's wild. And it, it also has a connection to uh, like, I know this is just something that I read on the IMDb trivia, but Tom Holland credits that he was able to get away with a lot of things making this film because the studio was so preoccupied uh, by focusing on the film Perfect from 1985. Have either of you seen Perfect? I don't know that I have. I've never even heard of it. Okay, this movie is with John Travolta and Jamie Lee Curtis. And it, it, this is oh, something I that do we, know that movie. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> the workout scene, there's like a 25, half an hour, 25 minute, half an hour workout scene in like a yoga class with John Travolta and Jamie Lee Curtis, just like air humping. Oh, and, um, who like, made oh, a music video spoofing that? <sighs> I don't know who that is, but I know that when Jesse and I were writing the Druid's Hand, we watched that scene <laughs> like frequently. It's just nice. the weirdest, weirdest energy in that film. And I love how they somebody made like a five minute music video of just that as they're like they're inspired by watching it. Yeah, that movie is like horrendously terrible. So it's so funny that like, you know, sneaking in the back door, we have Tom Holland making Fright Night, which would go on to be, in my opinion, it's absolutely an 80s horror classic uh, in a decade that has some of the greatest horror films that we have in general. I think Fright Night ranks up there with the best. Uh, so I've, I, yeah, I love being able and to having that like 10 out of 10 cover art, like you were saying, Mitch, yeah. like even before I'd seen Fright Night, I knew what it was just based on that cover art because it, it almost does feel like goosebumps ish in a way. I know it predates yeah, it, but predates just to kind of yeah. have that, uh, 
like that trajectory of kind of how we were it growing catches, up seeing that stuff yeah it catches it catches your attention that's mm-hmm. for sure and it looks it looks genuinely creepy and the film it is genuinely creepy in a few moments but uh above all else i just think it's a super fun enjoyable movie do you do you guys uh do you want to transition into fright night from 2011 hey mom hey just checking in what's you up to uh adam johnson adam you know adam's missing right right kids aren't coming to school it happens all the time i don't know if you're paying attention to roll call but he's not the only one that's gone you're nuts this is my son charlie and his girlfriend hi so jerry is our new neighbor hey hey now listen to me. We graphed up all the disappearances. That's you right there in the center next to his house. I really hate to be the one to tell you this, but that guy, your neighbor? Jerry. Yeah, he's a vampire. <laughs> that is a terrible vampire name, okay. Jerry. watching you your mom there's a kind of uh, neglect gives off a scent and your girl she's ripe it's on you to look out for them because there are a lot of bad people out there charlie what's that Yeah, this this movie, man. Okay, so Fright Night was a huge deal for me, like as a kid and teenager and early adult. So I was of the the mindset of all the jaded teenagers out there when they were remaking Fright Night, and I was mad about it. Didn't know why. Um, didn't have like real. Well, I guess I had real reasons. Like the movie's a classic, but I thought that the the trailer just looked horrible. I thought like Colin Farrell, I was just like, what are they doing to my boy? They're massacring my boy. And uh, <laughs> I was very upset about it. And uh, then I ended up, so this is, I normally, I'm the kid who would go to every single movie on opening night. I like tried to not see Fright Night out of defiance because I was a stupid jaded teenager. And I uh, finally went and saw it at our like local cheaper theater, shout out Rainbow Cinemas, rest in peace. And man, I loved it. Like, uh, I still like, I think this movie has so much to offer and it's, it's really faithful in a lot of ways. Um, I think it's, it's just a lot of fun. I I was a little turned off by the whole 3d aspect because once again, jaded teenager, uh, but it all worked, uh, for the most part, like there, there's definitely a way more flaws in this than for the original, obviously still far prefer the original, but this one's fun. And I, it's got a stacked cast. We got Anton Yelchin, which is like R.I.P. The, oh God, man! Oh, like that's it's so hard watching soon. him. He's so fucking so good, good in everything he was in. And like I'm a I, I'm a huge fan of Alpha Dog, which is a movie that a lot of people uh, don't really care for, but like that's the movie that really put him on my radar. And if you know, he's still good though, and even the movies of his you don't care for, like you yeah, know, it's, mm-hmm. like it's great. Even uh, that movie, I ended up actually liking it from what I remember, but Odd Thomas was like a lower budget 
film yeah, that yeah. Right. uh and he's he's so likable in the movie like he's just got that the characteristics of someone you're just always rooting for like he he it would be tough to imagine him as a bad guy uh but i think he could pull it off because he was an incredible actor but that was yeah that was so sad when he passed but imogen poots has become one of my favorite actors as well and she's she's great in this film colin farrell is someone i've just only warmed up to throughout the years like i like him more and more and i think he's great in this role tony collette's obviously you know an, an absolute master class actor and uh i really love david tennant playing chris angel in this movie because he's just a douche like he's got a little bit russell brand a little bit chris angel and uh both those people suck so it, it's fun watching them interact with these these chaotic teenagers in las vegas what are your, what are your thoughts sean i want to hear does does colin farrell pass the boozy test yeah oh 100 percent. okay Colin Farrell is, I will have to say he is, if, even if I was thinking about like casting my own Fright Night, I feel like he is a perfect vampire. He's got the, he's got the like 40 yard stare into your soul. He's Colin like Farrell bear. over Chris Sarandon. You heard it here first, folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm glad Mitch has come around on. I've been a fan of Farrell for a while. I think he's always been solid. He's not, he, he doesn't seem like he phones it in. He's, I, I think, you know, that, uh, what, like, keep in mind when i didn't like colin farrell i was a jealous teenager and all the girls that i would be dating at the time were all into <laughs> colin farrell so i inherently hated him and now i'm like you know what y- y'all are right this dude's a it, stud you know thinking back on that what a strange thing for like high school boys to be like it's not like colin farrell would come and steal your 16 year old yeah. girlfriend but we were when very you, worried about when that. you have the insecurities that i yeah. had <laughs> like i was worried about like bab margera coming and stealing my oh girlfriend. god yeah can you imagine and now i'd be worried about him stealing half of a sandwich i was eating <laughs> jesus christ okay um so who are we going to talk to here first now we figured out that boozy is um loves the raw sexual energy of colin farrell mm-hmm. it's sean or sean or boozy who wants to share your thoughts sean, i want to hear about how you feel about this movie going back now that You've rewatched it for the first time in a while. I was a bit like Mitch. I thought they were on par for the last few years. And I, uh, I did see a few more flaws watching it this week. Were you excited I, I watching say... it? Sorry. When you like, when it first came out, did you go? I wasn't check... as jaded, but okay. I'm with, I'm with Mitch in that. Like the trailer didn't do a ton to spark. However, that cast was like enough to maybe put it over yeah. because yeah, that top six or seven build people. I mean, really and imaging boots reteamed with him again for a green room which is a yeah, movie i imagine so... you guys love or did you oh know, yeah did you watch it oh, right now? yes but yeah anton i'm not gonna lie anton was one of the biggest bummers to me of any celebrity death in our lifetimes yeah. like he had so much ahead of him he was just making interesting career choices and like the very much like dicaprio and elijah wood just never did the obvious young adult yeah. rom-coms and dramas you know like he was yeah. another guy that was making like a lot of interesting my whole body so, yeah. is covered in chills right now just thinking about it because yeah well, also because it was such a weird like freak accident death and i think that yeah. makes it even more frustrating you know but yeah. uh my wife and i were reading uh scott pilgrim the books in the lead up to the movie and it was before we heard michael Sarah was cast and we oh, got in our brains anton yelton was the lead and for whatever reason it like took a while to get used to michael Sarah, who's polar <laughs> opposite type of energy but this uh, he made it his own, like, in my thoughts yeah but uh no um, one out of ten I, I enjoy the remake still. I've never actually gone about ranking like horror remakes, but you always think of like the thing and the fly and the blob and invasion of the body yeah. snatchers. I don't know. This might squeeze in like a top 10, maybe if I thought about it, but uh, 
I like that it's not a carbon copy. The, yeah. the structure of the screenplay is very different. Like we said, the way Ed and him have an interaction, the way David Tennant's character comes in and out of it a lot differently than the McDowell's version. Um, a lot of the updating worked for me. The Vegas setting where a lot of the population actually does work at night. And that was a the smart day. setting yeah. choice. I like yeah. that, yeah. Um, Smartest sense Leprechaun 3. <laughs> yeah, and I have a soft spot for obviously the creature feature aspect of, of Roddy's version, but Tennant being that Vegas act with the big dark magic show is also pretty great. And, and very relatable so to corny. Yeah. Um, kind of thing. <laughs> Christopher Mintz Plass, even who was, it's hard to shake McLovin, but I, I think he's a better, obviously, as a performance than Evil Ed in the original. But I, I do agree that the Evil Ed in the first one at least has a more. You have more, more to layers. latch on to or he makes a mark, yeah. Put, yeah, it makes a mark on you, leaves a mark. But uh, he does have some pretty funny moments in this, like uh, particularly whenever he's interacting with Dave Franco who plays such a pitch perfect high school douchebag. Yeah. Like that is perfect casting for him. And it's like, it's unbelievable that like, I, I really like Dave Franco now and I see him in enough roles. You see more range from him. But when I saw this, I was like, I can't imagine he could ever do anything other than an insufferable dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he's played that incredibly well a few times, like in uh, yep. 21 Jump Street. He is too. the perfect high school bully. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this one also has a Lisa Loeb sighting. You know, you can never go oh, wrong with that. Yes. Shout out. What was the... that? What was that movie that? Oh, After Midnight. I love yeah. that ended with the Lisa Loeb song. So good. Um, one wrinkle I'm not sure why they never included in the first one was that in this one, they straight allude that Peter Vincent knew vampires were real deep down and that mm -hmm. he had a, a past with them. And there's even a reveal when Colin Fair goes, I recognize you. Like, and they tie that in even more. Like, oh, he's the actual yeah. vampire that killed his parents but uh it was always strange to me that Roddy mcdowell didn't have that little wrinkle in the old one of, like there's a reason why he does what he does and does this as a profession because he knows all the ins and outs that was another kind of smart update that he had all the old school weaponry and stuff like that because he's been kind of chasing it his whole life in a weird way yeah subconsciously yeah. or not I, I never thought about it that much but you're right i kind of uh, that's a cheap answer to say, but I, I do enjoy that they explored both versions of that because having the first the first version being a little bit more like a kind of a bumble butt basically the whole time. Versus... Are you talking about Renfield? Or yeah. Who, so, okay. Yeah, like the the Renfield like character. Yeah, that he like doesn't know a ton about vampire, just is very scared the whole time and kind of running versus having oh, somebody I, yeah. who knew what they were doing, like Chris Angel. <laughs> Yeah, you know, no, it's a bit of a chicken shit too until like the point where he's not. But yeah, McDowell like all the way at the end of the first one is kind of like bumbling. Yeah, totally. I, yeah. He doesn't he doesn't become his way through yeah, it. cool till the sequel like where he's into it. <laughs> totally, and that's but where Tenet's version does it differently too is like he's it's so it's it's a little more interesting watching him just be like have to, he's such a dickhead and like he's so full of himself and everything and watching all of that crumble under the weight of real actual horror coming his way mm -hmm. uh, i really like that element of it obviously the 3d elements were things that you know i hated as when i was younger um and i don't certainly don't think it does it any favors now even but uh it's just it, i think that was the thing that left such a sour taste in my mouth when i first heard that they were doing this because i thought that they were going to treat it like you know the as much as i do actually kind of like that my bloody valentine 3d now um they they just treated them with such a level of disrespect and it was like the 3d overtook everything else like the story was secondary and i don't feel i feel like they juggled it really well on this one like they they threw in those flourishes for 
to get the audience excited who's going to you know get a, a one of Colin Farrell's hands through the screen and um just watching it now I think it it still works but it's the 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 glossiness of the VFX uh near the end it's just you can't compare it to the original like it yeah there's no comparison the difference that it makes when the the actual blood and the carnage is just physically there um thinking yeah. about the time frame now 2011 i remember hollywood was going back to 3d for like the 18th time in tw- yeah. 2009 avatar became the highest box office of all time and people don't remember that that's because 3d glasses went from one dollar to three dollars tacked onto your ticket yeah and that is factored into avatar's actual like box office like they're they you paid more money to go see it and cameron was like mandating like it's a better experience this way it's a better experience this way so yeah in the wake of that they were trying to 3dfi way too many things and things that didn't need it and yeah there's only like one truly egregious bit at the end where that face comes up you know at the yeah yeah the whole ending and i mean mad max Fury road in my opinion is the best action movie of the 21st century and even that has that one scene where like the tires and steering wheel fly at the screen you know and yeah yeah yeah. it it doesn't take you out of the movie but it's a bit groany anytime they're chasing a gimmick you know um yeah. i i'll forgive it because fury road's awesome otherwise but yeah in this one i just i noticed too at the end that the face coming up I'm like oh yeah that's right this was 3d i forgot all about that i i did find you. the the one scene where the colin farrell threw the bicycle or the motorbike through the back seat <laughs> yeah. it was actually the, the rest of the scene around that was really cool they're doing some cool uh camera tricks having it fully rotate all the way around inside yeah, it's some pretty wicked rigs for that yeah they had this really cool but it just that whole scene of the bike coming through because yeah it's all the special effects and then it goes like super bright and white and then it goes back to what you're actually supposed to be seeing and it is frustrating that way but it it takes away from a very cool scene yeah that's interesting i didn't catch that on my rewatch and i was watching it because the screen just was darker than it probably should have been for me but i do love the uh the immediacy of how like that's a that's a jump scare straight up like you think they got away and then that thing Mm -hmm. comes hurling 100 feet across the street yeah and comes in like a chainsaw which is what you think it is for a millisecond there but i also that's the other thing go ahead no go ahead sir I was just to say, I, I like how mean-spirited Colin Farrell's version was in this one, like, especially when they're like, what's he doing in the backyard? He's pulling up like their, uh, their gas lines. Yeah, I, I did like that too. Like how he was kind of just a thug. Well, yeah, he went from doing that whole like nice guy thing to like, okay, well, I tried talking to you and then instantly <laughs> goes to like, I'm going to explode your house. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot less Charlie convincing everyone around him that he's a vampire in this version. And, yeah. In fact, Ed's the one that's first convincing Charlie. And it's like, it's really not long before he's got his mom and girlfriend made well aware. And you're right, it kind of turns, the movie turns right there and becomes Colin Farrell's like not fucking around anymore. Like he immediately turns into a full-on villain. Yeah, it turns into like the guest, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and there's uh, the scene where he he's obviously, ke- oh, that's one of my favorite vampire tropes in any movies is watching vampires uh explode in daylight <laughs> shout out john carpenter's vampires yeah. where he's pulling him out with like a crossbow i just love that effect and um it's always fun to see even if this one it's just so glossy because of the 3d and the vfx and everything but when he when uh charlie rescues the the woman from from colin farrell's basement and takes her outside and she just bursts into flames i just I, I one love of my that. favorite kills in this century of film because it i remember my theater gasping when that yep. happened because like you, you forget he's already poisoned her and she's going to be screwed over by the sun yeah, yeah you get so caught up in her being rescued. Like, yes yeah no that's like that might be my favorite scene of the the, the, the remake yeah 
no totally and uh yeah i don't know the the film it just has this the this paranoid kind of erratic nature about it that Mm -hmm. was kind of like really relevant around that time like this this movie did remind me a little bit of disturbia as well the shia labeouf film yeah um but it just just because you know the uh, the obvious reasons they're both kind of riffs on rear window in some ways and uh i just think that rear window riff there's certain things that you'll just always be able to do something with them always be able to do a creative twist on whatever whatever story the first one was overtly you know he's literally looking out the window and watching the whole sex scene actually we've said enough nice things about it and i want to get a critique of it and it's exactly (laughs) what you said earlier this uh this one is so much less sleazy for lack of a better word than the original it's very streamlined lots of implied sex in this one but like hardly any scene on screen i'm not even sure now that there was like a naked boob in it but like no also gone as any like bisexual or gay undertones with jerry with ed with billy who's not even a character in this but like missed opportunity i think it was a larger problem like we're so sexless in modern mainstream entertainment that like we're quakers again but uh to the point where like deep water which just came out with uh the armist and affleck just feels like this avant-garde thing in this climate to have like a steamy you know sex movie but yeah uh, we need to clone verhoven yeah (laughs) we need to make sure we keep him around i still haven't seen benedetta but uh the fact that like that that's a dude we need we need more sleazy um like yeah sleazy really you know intimate close-up sweaty sex shots that we're we're missing in a lot of films these days like i i'm as big a fan as marvel and star wars as the next nerd and like my kids into them too but those are like the most chaste least horny franchises on earth and like are you one of those are you one of those guys screaming online about why marvel's not horny right now (laughs) no but i'm just saying to the larger point of like maybe this is disney's fault overall but like it, it is rather uh it's it's quaint <laughs> everything yeah. in mainstream now is like so sexless it feels like and yeah. Uh, yeah, it was weird that this one didn't have that like it yeah, obviously we're going for an r rating they weren't going to not get an r rating so why not lean into you know vampires being sexy i'm not sure <laughs> totally and they they definitely still play with the whole uh puberty and coming like growing into your sexuality but it just doesn't work as well as the original because yeah it's just it kind of feels more lacking. like sex drive in this movie that but then to have the like sex. a general genuine connection between them it's like a PG thirteen sex drive or something like something. Yeah, like it, it should yeah. be a sex movie, but it they they really nix that. And uh, but it's okay; they can show exploding bodies and people's people on fire and everything. That's okay. But God forbid some kids learn about some sexuality. Speaking of being on fire, that was a lot of fun. The way that he dispatched him at the end, I thought yeah. that was really cool. I. It was uh, like I hadn't seen anything quite like it, where he literally like attaches himself to him. Yeah, no, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, I really yeah. did like that. You thought like the movie could have ended in the in Tenet's giant, you know, crazy office house, whatever that was. That yeah, yeah, <laughs> that whole menagerie. But then they still have the whole sequence where they go into his uh, basement and stuff, and I I do enjoy how they dispatched a few of them. Yeah. For sure. No, they, yeah, the, it could have been a lot, uh, could have been more the new batch, like Gremlins too, and just went way over the top and a huge setting. But I like that they reverted back to the the dingy basement. Um, cool. Yeah. And it, also this Peter Vincent listens, listens to Kid Cudi, so he's depressed. <laughs> <laughs> did any, any of you happen to catch that they did a direct sequel to this one? There's a Fright Night Part 2 that's a direct to this one called New Blood, I believe. There he yeah. is. Yeah, there is. I've never seen it. I heard it's even yeah, I heard it's even worse than the original Fright Night too. Um, 
so yeah i don't know i i just never got to those i think i don't know what it is there's there's certain properties that i like this could be which is funny because tom holland famously also made psycho 2 which is like a movie that should have never had a sequel and honestly it's a pretty good sequel like i i like that right, movie. i think yeah yours have been kind of people say it's very underrated nowadays it is yeah it's it's good um but like with fright night i don't know there's just something about it i just didn't i think this is a good franchise for that's always ripe for you can not recycle but you can refresh this every couple decades and have a great film it's it's just the the story itself is so yeah. built in interesting that you, there's lots of even just yeah just looking at the difference between the two are talking about how much different things they did with the same basic story idea i think it'd be fun to see one in the next couple of years again yeah yeah no i'm definitely becoming less and less jaded to the idea of remakes because you know so many of them have been great mm-hmm. uh but I also am, of course, in the camp that I just want to see some more original stuff. But we when got a do you think years. we're going to have another 3D renaissance again that we're going to have to live through? Avatar 2. <laughs> Studios year, will not baby. learn their lessons again. Like, Avatar oh, wait, is this... like the harbinger of 3D. <laughs> yeah, it's going to bring it back. Um, cool. I don't remember. Yeah. It got so bad that they were like post converting stuff like the Thor sequel and the Clash oh. of the Titans sequel. They were post converting yeah, yeah. them into 3D just to try to get the extra money and they look like shit yeah i think it was the clash because i was stupidly very uh stoked for a clash of the titans when it was first announced and oh my god i remember that movie just being horrible and the 3d being like what are we like this is just annoying i'm getting a headache at this point but uh yeah do you guys have anything else you want to talk about in regards to fright night before we get on to our rapid fire questions i forgot about that no uh i think we've said probably enough about them both i was happy to revisit that one and uh like i said it's still got um marty noxon who came out of the the buffy and angel world and went on the right episodes of unreal and i think she created the amy adams series sharp objects on hbo yeah she was the screenwriter for this update and the guy that directed it went on to i tanya and recently cruella so it's uh it's slick it's you know it's got its flaws but uh i do think now watching them both in recent memory uh I can't say that I like the the sequel more, despite its no. third act being really cool. Yeah, no, I just uh, they're they're both fun. Uh, I'll obviously always choose the original over the remake, but I've seen far far worse remakes. I'm with you, Sean, that this would probably crack a top ten remakes for me, uh, just simply because they they did what they did the the moments that they want to pull from the original. They did them fairly well, and they switched it up a little bit. So yeah, it gets a <laughs> yeah. pass for me. What about you, Boozy? Re- oh, sorry. No, Go. I was just going to say they reframe the uh, Welcome to Friday Night for Real, which Chris Sarandon like draws out yeah. in the funniest way possible in the original. <laughs> but Colin okay. Farrell's hits harder because he's like reminding David Tennant that I killed your parents. So, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Boozy. No, I was just going to say I, I really appreciated having a chance to watch both of these back-to-back to see the big difference and actually to finally see the 2011 and you can definitely see that the 2011 obviously like i mentioned is the more uh, streamlined less kind of the story kind of doesn't get fed to you as well it's very fast paced and glossy and i it, it's fine for what it is i said i like the ending um and i think it just the the gem of this whole thing is yeah getting to watch the original again and seeing all the the creative effects they had and just the story that I was going with I really enjoyed it so it was enjoyable and I definitely want to check out two now that I've they're vampire hunters that's exciting 
I feel like Boozy, you're the perfect market for that because you tend to like uh, widely universally hated movies, sequels especially. <laughs> sequels, yeah. So I think you're you're the demographic. That I don't go to. I don't try to do it. They're just no. They're I know. Fun. <laughs> yeah, it's it's your brain, man. We don't ever change who you are. <laughs> What's a widely hated sequel that you love? Blue Crush uh, Two, Strangers Pray at Night, <laughs> oh, oh, Stranger, Blue Strangers. <laughs> yeah, you love Strangers. You. Uh, you convince uh, actually now it's funny i'm pretty sure i like covenant more than you do the new alien like and when i came out of that theater i was so pissed and you were like it was really good and you liked uh fallen kingdom when it first came out and then now i hate it it. yeah (laughs) now i hate it uh i'm i'm drawing a blank i I remember there's been a couple oh yeah fucking nightmare on elm street five the dream child that was a good one yeah boozy loves the dream child that is a take Sean's just like noted. I don't want to talk to this guy anymore. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> no, I have okay. a soft spot for all of them just because I was young when I saw them all. But yeah, and that's my favorite horror franchise. Yeah. All right. We'll take that one off. And no, we we made sure. I'm pretty sure none of these questions are ones that would show up on uh, Paper Street. And if there's anything that you want cut, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll do. Maybe just right. dead space when I blink out. But no, yeah. I'll, I'll do my best here. Okay, uh, Boozy. Do you want me to lead this off? Yeah, sure. You, you do you still have your questions? Yes. Uh, I just gotta pull up my list here. Give me a sec. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. We'll we'll start off easy. So we're gonna do in uh, a tribute to Paper Street Pictures podcast uh, or the Paper Street podcast. Uh, you guys tend to do a lightning round, uh, rapid fire round that you actually spend more time on, uh, which I like. I like when your guests are able to explain um, their reasonings for their answers and. Uh, you can choose to do the same thing with this one if you want, but a few of these you you might just know right away. Like, who is your favorite Spice Girl and why? Oh, favorite one. Uh, I actually think I like uh, Scary Spice. Nice. Yeah, that's a good choice. I feel like anyone, all the people whose favorite baby favorite was Baby Spice, they're all in jail now. Um, if you could, would you rather take Betty or Veronica to the prom? And why? Uh, I prefer brunettes with uh, some spit fire to them. So I'm, I'm a Veronica guy for sure. You learn a lot about a person from this question. Uh, it's, yeah, I'm the same way. I like the brunettes that'll just destroy your life and self-esteem. So Veronica for myself as well. Boozy, do you want to answer that one? Yeah. Wait, wait. Sorry, what was that? Oh, yeah, can Boozy answer all these? I don't know. Do <laughs> oh, yeah. That, I have a good uh, question, though. Yeah, you, you guys you might have a heart out. I don't know if he's got the time. Okay. Which host was funnier on Price is Right? Richard Carn or Steve Harvey? Which was funnier? Ugh. I'm not a Steve Harvey fan by any means, but I would imagine he's funnier overall than Richard Carn, who just seemed like a drip to me. You didn't like Home Improvement? I did not. You know oh, how, okay. like, way late in life, Mitch was still jealous and insecure when I was a little... <laughs> I hated Jonathan Taylor Thomas and all three of those kids. So no, I didn't like that show. Yeah, fuck them kids. Never really liked Tim Allen. Yeah. That show was not for me. I just didn't, didn't okay. really care. I this just reminded me of the the most backwards. You know those uh, backwards compliments or like a yeah an, backhanded compliment. Yeah, like I someone said to me recently upon meeting me that I look like this was the first thing that this man said to me. He said, "You look like if." Uh, if a supermodel fucked Al Borland and had a kid. That's backhanded. Uh, and yeah. Did you say, do you mean Wes Borland? No, I wish. 
Yeah, that's what that was the first first question. All right, yeah, sorry, Boozy, you continue on. You, Who's I know Al you Borland? Some... I can't picture put, put, Rich, put a name. Richard Carn. He's Richard Carn from uh, from Home Improvement. <laughs> oh, sorry, that was the character's name. Yeah, that is yeah. very backhanded and only slightly complimentary. <laughs> I was like, why? Because I'm a slightly heavier uh, guy who uh, fucking. What, where, where was I going with that? Oh yeah, I always wear plaid. So, white guy who wears plaid. I'm. I'm. So you're literally yeah. everyone at Home Depot. I was gonna say, aren't you issued plaid being a, a Canadian? Yeah, exactly. I guess one of my one of my eight stereotypes I have about you guys. <laughs> yeah, isn't it crazy that we get this get a reception from our igloos? <laughs> no, I love. Please, I love can- Canadians. Right, what are I you love... talking about? I'm at a nice beach right now. Yeah, Y'all make good uh, good comedians. Some good music. A lot of good comedians. Though. Yeah, Tom Green. Shout out. <laughs> Keep going with your questions, Sean. First would you rather <laughs> fight a bear or a shark? So the bear you have to fight in the woods, the shark you have to fight in the ocean. Uh, shark, because if he chomps your arm, you still can start fighting him off. A bear comes at you with all four things and a mouth. So a bear will fuck you up and you will not against a bear. There's a chance you can want to fight against a shark. Okay, yeah. that's, that's actually a fair answer. Uh, yeah. Who makes the worst pizza and why is it Little Caesars? Oh, it's Papa John's. Their sauce is gross. Oh, it's yeah. Papa, Papa John's. John's. Okay. Yeah. Now, uh, we worked with a Canadian good. director down here a few years ago in a short when we were all still in Austin. And he thought Papa John's was like this high end pizza. And we found out later that he's a cuckoo right wing yeah. guy, Papa John, that is. And uh, <laughs> it turns out the reason pizza is expensive and considered like very fancy there is because he doesn't like to pay you know workers health insurance and benefits and yep. stuff and that's probably why his pizza is expensive in canada it's shit ten dollar pizza here alongside little caesars and domino's and all the other ones so it's not special it's really hey gross. don't you put domino's in that camp oh i like domino's i actually do yeah. like of all the chains that's my favorite one but uh, yeah no papa john's, yeah, papa john's is, is worse shit. than little caesars yeah i guess we, we just had more little caesars where we came from but yeah uh, i always feel like that one's like the worst one you could it's like what's the worst sub you can have and it's from subway it's pretty close Shut up. little caesars is at the bottom i'm not i'm not disagreeing but yeah I, something about papa john's sauce is even makes it even weirder and worse. Sub, subway's at the top so don't slander the, keep that name at your mouth <laughs> happy gilmore even said so uh booze you want to keep going subway in like 10 years all right i got i got more here uh what's the worst band you've ever seen live Oh man. Uh rest in peace, Taylor Hawkins. It is not the Foo Fighters, but the best and worst concert I've seen in my life are both Weezer. And uh oh, I saw wow. Weezer in a perfect, uh, incredible show here at Whiskey A Go Go in LA. It was one of those perfect scenarios where like first 500 people to come get tickets, get to see this tiny little show. And it was amazing. But then I, they also opened for Foo Fighters on a big arena tour, and they were just like the blandest performers. And I I think it was right about the time the whole world was giving up on Weezer because we all grew up faster than Rivers Cuomo did. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Worse. I'm trying to think. Like, I'm sure there's like a um, one of those like amphitheater type shows or like major bills where somebody was yeah. not great, but nothing. There's always yeah, that one band that you expect to be good and then they're just yeah. bad the whole way through. Yeah. yeah just, yeah. That, that was the first that came to mind. That was how Weezer just kind of did their thing. And then Foo Fighters came out and did an actual rock show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, big rest in peace. That was a, that was a tough one too. But um, Sean, when was the last time you shit your pants? Oh God, <laughs> how did he know to ask this question? Uh, I wish my wife was here to chime in, and she'd be like, "I know at least three incidences when he's been a grown man and done that." Um, I don't know the most recent time, but I can tell you there's a there's a famous time that a few friends of mine were were privy to when uh, we were at Full Sail. There used to be this um, burrito joint called Tijuana Flats in Florida, it's still there, and uh, 
we were young and had metabolism and uh, went across the street and ate there while we were building the set for something we were doing. And me and another guy ate two of their Megawana burritos. And that was a bad idea. <laughs> both of us uh, ran to our respective apartments shortly thereafter and both came back with the same story. We did not make it. Oh, <laughs> so just, I'll share that story for you. I'm running yeah. up the stairs. I'm trying to like skip stairs to run. By the time I got to my front door, it had, it had happened. So oh, amazing. Um, yeah, thank, there are other stories. I mean, we could do a separate podcast of like, let's all tell shit our pants stories. They're terrible. Yeah. The reason um, I thought of that is because I shit myself this week and I work from home. Oh, like, so you got to well, that, imagine. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it takes a major skill to do that. You're near a toilet when you're in your home yeah. and you still didn't get there. Yeah. Sometimes it's still deceiving. If you're never... wearing pants, you're a portable toilet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's yeah. It's like uh, President Obama always said, never trust a fart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Boozy, you got more? Uh, <laughs> where did you lose your virginity? Um, in a house in uh, Brandon, Florida, uh, in the front living room of my girlfriend at the time in high school, but uh, yeah, I, we, we were each other's first in, uh, how romantic somewhere? in the living yeah. room. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, let's go with some wholesome ones. So a question <laughs> that you, a question that you frequently ask on, on the paper street podcast is, uh, what's the movie you've seen the most? Uh, for sure, mine would be somewhere between Batman 89, Ninja yeah. Turtles 90, and Monty Python the Holy Grail. Damn. It's probably Princess Bride, too. If you threw those four in a, in a blender, you'd, you'd probably get 20 times each on those, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, yeah, I don't know. I think we actually... Oh, I have one more question. Are... Who is your okay. favorite wrestler? Uh, all time. Yeah. From Calgary, Alberta, yes, Canada. Brett. Brett the Hitman Hart. Absolutely. Best there is, best there was, best there ever will Absolutely. be. Absolutely. Fuck Shawn yeah. Michaels. Brett, all day, every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Love yes. it. No, Brett, and uh, you're not allowed to talk about him now because we're racing from history, but as a kid, Brett and Benoit were the two that I was watching going, wow, yeah. everything they do looks like it hurts, and everything that's done to them looks like it hurts them. And uh, yeah, Brett to this day is just like, he, he got good matches out of people like Diesel. I mean, come on. He's, 100%, he's like yeah. the only guy to get good matches out of certain guys, but uh, yeah, he's my all-time. Um until uh, his family showed up at our insurrection here in DC, I would say Jericho was a top ten of mine. I've, I've always yeah, been his, right. he's his reinvented wife himself is big time into that. Yeah, she sucks, and yeah. uh, <laughs> but he's he's always been a good character. He's uh, trying to think of some other guys. I was into WCW back during that Monday Night War and a lot of the the cruiserweights and stuff like that. I like Malenko and uh, growing up in Tampa, I mean, it's, it's I love that you gave a shout out to a, Malenko. Yeah, right. Like, nobody ever talks about Malenko. Malenko was awesome. I like the boring technicians, apparently. That's fair. But, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, growing up so, in Tampa, I mean, they all live there and like everybody's met Hogan or has a Hogan story or stuff like that. So I went to school with uh, Jessica Heenan, who was Bobby DeBrain's daughter. No way. That's so incredible. I had like weird wrestling connections all through my life, but I've uh, been a lifelong fan. Although WWE did everything they could to like make me quit the last two years on them and i have and right yeah, when i thought i was AEW out guy? yeah that's what happened AEW starts up and then shit i'm like back in it okay I, and I it doesn't hurt that we like i'm really into control your narrative no uh, fucking hey see i thought you guys like lean more conservative but it doesn't sound like it listen to some no, of the episodes absolutely and uh not. it's funny that uh yeah i I think Austin Aries is like the biggest piece of shit on earth. <laughs> I'm sorry. This uh, yeah, is, that, yeah, this is completely not like. Wait, did this just become a wrestling podcast? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. 
Mitch is like, stop, stop it. it no, it, t- it tends to go this route quite a, quite a few times. So no, I was just totally gonna say, Aries is a piece of shit. I used to think he was so cool, but yeah, he's a piece of shit. We had uh, we had Dustin Rhodes in our movie, which was by design. We were looking yeah. for a very large guy to play a serial killer, and I said, why don't we look at some wrestlers? And we had a few names, and Dustin being based out of Austin, Texas, it worked out perfectly that he showed up to be the Devil's Like Impaler and Scare Package. Damn. Yeah, how you is that got... to work with him? No, he's great. He's like you know veteran respectful guy you know he's everything you imagine he'd be being the son of a son of a plumber yes shout out plumbers um shout out dusty um yeah awesome well this was this was a lot of fun sean i can't thank you enough for contributing to the kickstarter and helping us get our film made and uh just coming on and talking this has been such a such a pleasure like i said a big fan of what you do and what you have going on and uh i anxiously i really hope people check out uh, anyone who hasn't listened to the paper street podcast definitely check that out um an, another shout out for another episode was you had uh bears rebecca fonte on to discuss like um film festivals and what goes into them and that's like something that's w- likely very very interesting for a lot of more people than just myself uh so thank you for all of your stellar work thank you for joining us on the terror table and uh yeah what what's your socials where can people find you so uh speaking of the podcast uh at paper street podcast on instagram but also just paperstreetpodcast.com we'll have our whole episodes and they have show notes there paper street pictures is on all of them you know it's a uh, paper st pictures i think on twitter at paper street pictures on instagram uh myself sean s-h-a-w-n tally t-a-l-l-e-y on twitter sean m tally m is in mitch and i are gonna fuck later because we have the same loves of movies no sean m tally on instagram if you want to follow me on any of those absolutely and that's where that's where you'll be able to get you'll be able to know it's him by the the amazing kyle mclaughlin twin peaks picture in the in the image agent coop yeah shout out twin peaks awesome uh all right well let's uh wrap up for today and yeah i guess next time you all hear from us we're going to be discussing three crocodile movies from 2007 (laughs) we're going to be talking about rogue uh primeval and croc Croc. yeah yeah i still haven't seen that one so i'm curious about primeval because i remember i was so excited about when it was coming out and i remember hating it but i man i still i have my vhs somewhere i'll watch the bonus features (laughs) okay well looking forward to that thanks again for joining us sean and yeah certainly guys this has been a blast and mitch good luck with druid's hand of course i was happy to donate you've been a good supporter of us from the get-go uh from talking to aaron in person on down to his other appearance to like just in paper street in general so it's much appreciated boozy great to talk with you and meet you as well and put faces to names here yeah no kidding awesome all right well thanks so much for listening everyone and we'll see you next time on the tarot table (laughs) 